Thank you, Mike. Great to be chatting with you. You know, I'm such a fan of your music. I think you've got a great sound over there. And of course, as everybody else in the world is, there's a little bit of Irish in me. But you've got the better deal because you're actually over there. <laughs> so I have a geographical advantage for the sake of this conversation. Well, that's 
It's something, I suppose. Well, you got to, not only do you have that, you've got a much better accent as well. It's such a cool accent, the Irish accent, isn't it? I don't know. The Welsh one is pretty cool too. No, I don't, I don't do a Welsh impression, and I'm not going to attempt it now. But <laughs> you've, uh, you've got a long history of great uh, bardic demagogues. So you've, like, yeah, the Charles Christmas in Wales springs to mind, being being recited by. Um, take your pick, any number. But yeah, you got a great one too. Well, we've we've got the whole Celtic connection thing going on, so you know we're on we're on to a winner from the start. Yeah, we do, we do. How did it start for you? How did you get into music? It's weird, Mike, because in a lot of ways I was kind of a late bloomer. I I had a great love of music from the time I was in my very early adolescence, and I have my mother's brothers to thank for that. My uncle Ben Malloy and, and Paddy Malloy had fantastic eclectic taste you know everything from the stuff you wouldn't expect like boz skaggs the kinks racing cars clifford t ward and so from hearing that kind of stuff when i was like 11 or 12 it it develops the creative side of 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 one's mind in a way that when you go to write your first songs they have flavors of stuff like home thoughts from abroad and you know not the typical stuff that a 12 or 13 year old would be writing as their first songs and so I really wanted to harness that because I, I, I had a great affinity for the idea of songwriting and the concept that you could make a life and a living out of writing songs and that be something that you do as a career prospect. And so when I was about 13, maybe 14, I enrolled at the Clondalkin School of Music. Clondalkin is the name of the town where I come from in, in Dublin. And that's where I met the great Peter Stanton. And he was like a character that rolled Dahl wrote he was a typical renaissance man he had a great love of all things musical for one but you know he he loved the music of leonard bernstein west side story was something we often melodically deconstructed and he he introduced me to the music that today i find most influential so in classical terms like bruckner uh brahms and then right through to more eclectic and, and unusual things like the compositions of people like frank zappa and I, I have him to thank for the melodic mess that I find myself in today, for better or for worse. It sounds like, you know, a, a sort of an idyllic musical childhood listening to some of the music that you were brought up and you and you were exposed exposed to. Looking back on it, does it does it feel like that? Does it feel that you were listening to all the best music that was around at the time? I think everything, Mike, is is life by comparison. So when you you know, you find yourself in the smoking area of a pub at midnight and people are talking about musical influences and what you know they might think simon and garfunkel's sound of silence is really reaching into the realm of deep cuts and then i'm you know i'm talking about stuff like church street blues by tony rice or in a sentimental mood by duke ellington i think it it gave me an appreciation that i suppose belied some of my my contemporaries because the reach to like today it's so weird to hear kids today talk about old music and they're talking about something that was released in 1998 you know so because to me old music is like turn of the century 20 you know when people were first doing the charleston and stuff like that so i i suppose i have more of an appreciation for the chronolog the chronological aspect of music and recorded music than maybe a normal person would you spoke with then about your contemporaries 
What was the Dublin music scene like when you were growing up? What kind of music was out there? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't know much about it when I would have been in my early teens, but certainly the music that was popular was anything that was coming from the UK and the United States. There was a, a movement in and around 2006, 2007, where these, I suppose you'd call them emo bands now, like Plain White Tees, My Chemical Romance and stuff like that. And every other band, Mike, that started was based, they wanted to be the next Fallout Boy. They wanted to be the next um, from first to last. You know, those real sort of, uh, I won't say, it, it grew out of like, say, gothic music. Well, you know, eventually something that happened in the 1990s that then evolved into emo and screamo and all these different things. And so if you wanted to be in a band, you needed to just bite your tongue and swallow your pride, whether you like that kind of music or not, and get into it, just to get into a group. And so when I was in my mid-teens, uh, one of my good friends, Kevin Brannigan, was in a group called The Wannies, which was affectionately named after our school principal. And he let me play bass in the band for a period in time. We never got beyond the garage now, in fairness. But, uh, you know, that was the beginning. But again, you just... Because here was I with my Clifford T. Ward records and Fat Swaller and Sister Rosetta Tharp, which these guys wanted none of. And I just wanted to play music. So... Again, it would, in a, in a way, it was lovely just to be playing music of any description. But I think if you start off with unusual tastes, you can swallow the unusual and it's a little bit more palatable than if you were just brought up on rave music or psychedelic or something. Again, you named some great performers there, like Rosetta Tharp. I mean, gosh, when she came out, she caused such a stir with Hound Dog and some of the other tracks. You know, they were revolutionary in, in their time. They were. And today, if there's a particular performance that Sister Rosetta Tharp does of Didn't It Rain, and she's on, like, the side of a railway track. I remember Bob Dylan on his Theme Time Radio Hour introduced her as she was always dressed as if she was going to church. Just immaculate. A, a thorough lady through and through. And someone who took no prisoners and didn't suffer fools lightly. And it came across in her music 100%. So I think when you have that degree of sincerity, it, it carries today. It doesn't matter if it's 60, 70 years ago. You hear it today, it sounds as fresh as ever. There's an angel sleeping in my bed If you know just what I mean When we met I felt you knew me When I'm low she sees right through me With the brightest eyes my eyes have ever seen She's my honeybee Sweet as a honey got a hold of me You see, my honeybee knows me and she's my honeybee She gives me all the loving in the world for free You see, nobody knows my bee Don't nobody know my honeybee like me Proceed for the ones who need it most. I know each line of the book she reads, she knows the way I like my toast. And if I thought that I was dreaming, I'd wake up each night screaming just to find myself in the arms I love the most. 
is a honey got a hold of me and you see my honey bee knows me and she's my honey bee she gives me all the loving in the world for free you see nobody knows my bee don't nobody know my honey bee nobody knows my honey bee nobody knows my intrigued by the list of music that you were listening to because i think after listening to your music that's what's given you breadth and experience to create the music that you create you've got such a such a wide palette at your fingertips haven't you i you know and it's funny mike because for so many years if you talk to pr people or a record label they hate that because they love to be able to pigeonhole and say what are you are you blues rock reggae jazz what is it? Because they don't, for PR companies and agencies that want to promote you, they need to be able to pigeonhole it. It needs to go into a genre description. And for me, one of the things I love and have always loved about songwriting is the limitlessness of it. So if you are if you find yourself in a Bobby Gentry type mood, you write a Bobby Gentry type, type song. If you're in a Lowell George type mood, then maybe it'll come out a little bit country blues, country rock, that kind of thing. And that freedom for me has always been so important because I often think of the Tom Waits expression, I'd rather be a success on my own terms than a failure on somebody else's. And I think that's so important. And it's a, it's an aspect that a lot of artists aren't afforded today, unfortunately. But if you can stick to your guns at all, then that's the best choice, I think. That's a really refreshing and sensible point of view. But I'll give, I'll give you a really awkward question now. Where do you sit? How would you describe your music? Well, if I really... If I really had to get into it, Mike, it's an amalgam. Like, I, I fall, for me, into the traditional singer-songwriter bracket. But by singer-songwriter, I mean sort of from the Goffin King, Howie Greenfield and Neil Sedaka school of songwriting. Like, in my mid-teens, I became obsessed with the Brill Building and Tin Pan Alley and the idea that you would sit in an office space in a cubicle at a piano and your job was to turn out songs that became the hits of the day and... There was a brilliant BBC documentary about 14, 15 years ago that, that went into depth with people like Howie Greenfield and Neil Sedaka about visiting Connie Francis and pitching Stupid Cupid. And then a couple of weeks later, that was the top of the Billboard charts. And I love the immediacy of that. I love, I come from the world of the DJ. So I used to listen with my Walkman under my pillow. I thought the DJ was a comfort. It was like a friend who was listening and giving you these little gems over the airwaves. And I love that we're now in a time with social media where that immediacy has returned. You can post a video of a song, of a live performance, and within a matter of minutes, 45 minutes, that's reverberated around the world. So technology's changing, but the sentiment is the same, I think. song on every tongue blue confetti on the driveway 
And the band is next to none And they got Cabernet and whiskey For the friends I never knew But something's missing And girl, I think it's you Well, the doctor said I'm crazy That I never stood a chance And there's no room for improvement Given any circumstance And I was never one to gamble Oh, but I'll bet my luck it's true That something's missing And girl, I think it's you You never know tomorrow Until they call it yesterday When every friend has turned into a foe Forgive me if I cannot find those words in which to say that I need you more than you could ever know. But it's been seven months or more now since the robin flew away. I'm a kid with big ideas, but I'm learning every day. And it's busy in the factory, so there's always work to do. But something's missing, and girl, I think it's you. There's a great skill to songwriting as well. I mean, you mentioned some of the greatest there. How do you approach your songwriting? Very much, Mike, like the people that I described. So I try to at least three to four days a week be at the piano for a three to four hour period and I have the good fortune that every time I sit down to write a song it's not necessarily just for me I write for a lot of varied artists a lot of country artists in Ireland I collaborate a lot so it's not as much of a a schlep as you would imagine it might be having to sit down and churn something out every day but I suppose the freedom that I really relish and, and cherish from my perspective is not having to pigeonhole myself and I say this with the greatest respect to not have to think what would my audience want me to do because a lot of a lot of recording artists today as you know have to take their audience into account before they do anything and the next hit has to sound like the hit before I don't think in terms of hits I'm 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 playing the long game. <laughs> so, all of my heroes are either 85 or dead. So you know, um, I'm, I'm just holding up my end of the bargain. Hey, you, you get no arguments from me. Can you remember your first success? I suppose if you're talking in terms of what we'd all quantify success as being as like chart success or whatever. I was in bands for years, Mike, and trying to get close to the sound that I felt I wanted to make. And you know how it is. When you're in a band, it's decision by committee. So the drummer has to be happy, the bass player, the two guitars, keyboard, and backing singers all have to be content that this is the single, this is what it sounds like, this is the producer we use. And so when I was about 21, 22, I went solo. And that was the most liberating thing ever because if I wanted to make, if I, if, if I wanted a single to open up with Um Shalla Walla Walla or Shalala, I was the final arbiter of taste with regards to that. So I didn't need to go consult anybody. And I'm fortunate enough to be with a record label, PO Records, which is Clannad's record label, that I don't have that conversation. I don't have to go to them and say, what's the single? How many tracks needs to be on the record? They, I deliver a record and if I deliver it on time, they put it out and that's it. So I'm in a very fortunate position. Oh, 
The weatherman said it's a good year to die It's been summer all week for the folks in the sky Still I never hear you knock at the door And your letters never come anymore The choices of a man reflect the trouble he's seen But you lost your faith in love before you turned 19 He's got a face to tear the hair from your skin Sweetheart, what are you doing with him? I know that no one ever tell you that you're living a lie I hope you'd see the wood for the trees You'll never change the world until you change your mind But knowing you, you'll do as you please I guess there's nothing sweeter than a walk in the park Where the fool who's only really broke alone in the dark The queen that wipes the blood from her chin Is ashamed of what she's witnessed within Never tell you that you're living a lie I hoped you'd see the wood for the trees You'll never change the world until you change your mind But knowing you, you'll do as you please Stand up for justice or freedom of speech If the cat's got your tongue, you can take one of each It's only a kiss, but it's hard to define When you can't change your shoes without changing your mind Yeah. Good morning, Stephanie How do you like the view from your window? Is it all you ever thought it would be? That, that sort of working on your own in that way. Well, I, I guess what I want to ask is, who do you use as your sounding board then? Well, that's it. You know, I, I, I don't really. If it, for me, Mike, if it comes up, if it bubbles to the surface the way I hoped it would, then that's the only criteria that I apply because I feel like if, if I, there would never be. There would never be a person apt enough to ask that would ever give the answer that I wanted. Because, as you know yourself, when you go looking for an opinion, you really just want the opinion you've already formulated yourself. So, I don't... What would end up happening is, I would amalgamate a song every single time to whoever I was talking to. Like, if I was talking to my mother, if I was talking to one of my mates, 
and so and they would have a very different opinion on what they felt a song should sound like compared to me and I'd, I'd end up releasing nothing then so I just tried to stay true to the music that I love and if I feel like it if I feel like I hit the mark on what I was going for that's good enough for me did you get a lot of support from the family when you were growing up and you know when you made this this decision that hey I'm, I'm going to be a songwriter sometimes I feel like the best support is saying nothing in other words my parents aren't musical they're not songwriters but they didn't criticize it they didn't say well wouldn't you rather be a doctor wouldn't you they were like, okay, well, then you're going to have to treat, if you want this to be your job, you better treat it like a job. So you better, if you want to be a songwriter, I better see you writing songs every day. If you want to be a performer, I better see you chasing that. They never, it's like, they, I was never faced with opposition. That's the best way to put it. And they, I'm sure deep down would have much preferred if I went into medicine or if I <laughs> did anything else. But they, I was never faced with opposition. They just want, they were as, as supportive as if I said I wanted to be a trapeze artist. And, and of course, then when you get your first release, what, what, what was the reaction like from friends and family? How did you feel when your first record, or your first CD comes out? There's that thing. You call yourself something all the time, but yet you look for signs in your life to tell you this is actually what I am. So when you say, someone asks you what you do, you say I'm a singer-songwriter. And up until that point, I had never put out an album. I wasn't with a record label. I used to teach music just to make ends meet. So from every outward perspective, people would look at me and say, well, you're not really a songwriter. You, you tell people you are. And then after that, it was a kind of a kind of a weird benediction because then I would meet people in musical circumstances who may have encountered my music already. And then you get to avoid that awkward thing of like, oh, I'm Colin Gavin, I write songs, blah, blah, blah. So one of the things that it afforded me was a reputation, at least on some small scale, that was at least something to build upon. And while I wasn't taking over the world by any stretch of the imagination, but at least certain doors opened, even if they weren't the biggest doors. But it gave me, I always say, Mike, all I ever wanted was someone to throw me the ball and say, run as far as you can. And so that was kind of like somebody throwing me the ball. These bicycles are hand-me-downs. Let's race them to the sky That's how it was on sunny days My little pal and I The hours pass like sugar cane When all the world was new And if it ever rained on our parade we found something else to do I'll bet that in a hundred years We'll be thinking of it still Even if you don't I always will The years gave more than we could ask Time just passed us by But I saw the world like an open book With the apple of my eye I did not need a lot, you see Just the simple things would do Because I felt like I had everything as long as I had you I felt 
expected from the day we met And I feel it even still I love you so success earlier looking back on your career to date how do you measure your success do you feel a success do you feel that you've you're where you want to be there's a brilliant cartoon from the new yorker that i've kept from the first time i saw it and it's a little guy with his feet up on his desk in an office and he's looking out the window talking to his assistant and he says by all outward accounts i know i'm successful but there's always that voice in my head that asks but where's your yacht And I feel like I hope I never get too far away from that voice because I never wanted to feel like I got to the top of the mountain because, you know, yourself, you get to the top of the mountain. The only way is down. And so I just I'm Bob Dylan says a man is a success if he gets up in the morning, goes to bed at night and in between does what he wants. And I feel like if I only the audiences that I play to at the moment would be, say, the one gratifying thing for me and just just talking on the subject of success, I never expected to be playing the O2 in London. I never, I never saw myself playing to 13, 14,000 people. The type of music I play doesn't accommodate that. But if a hundred people on a given night in a town in Scotland, in Wales, in Barcelona, in Dublin would pay, you know, 10, 15 quid to come and see me and that they'd walk away after enjoying the show, that's enough for me. And at the moment, I can do that on a certain geographic level. Like I've been, I've done a couple of tours of the States and, and, um, you know, I can put on a show and hopefully put a good few bums in seats. But my my 
goals were never too grandiose, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make it too hard on myself to begin with, because I suppose a fourteen-year-old with dreams of being like Neil Sedaka or Lowell George, you know, it, it isn't exactly, you know, it isn't the tune that everybody's whistling on the way to work.
Hey, it's a it's a great answer and a great outlook on the whole profession, the whole profession as well, isn't it? You know, it's it's not an easy profession to to succeeding. No, it isn't, and I don't think bands or young artists today make it easy on themselves because you hear someone like Noel Gallagher come out and knock young bands and they david you know they've just undertaken an 80 day tour and they're playing to 14 15000 people and a younger band is going to look at that and say well if Noel Gallagher thinks that's not worth anything me playing in my local bar to 75 people must be absolutely nothing and so what am i wasting my time doing this for i think you need to get really connected to what it is that makes you happy and if that comes in the form of you know, playing a festival to 100, 150 people who all came to see you, that's enough. 150 people is a lot of people, and if they're all paying a, a decent ticket price, do that 30, 40 times a year, you might not make a bad living from it. So I I just think people need to get more connected with, with their craft before they go chasing these huge ideas. And then, after, you know, they get to 26 and they say, well, we just packed it in because we weren't playing to 16,000 people a night. Sometimes... Taking those high aspirations off the shelf for a minute can get you to focus on what's really important, I think. It's, it's a great way of thinking about it. And, and like, as I said, a very healthy way of thinking about it because success is measured in so many different ways. And I love the way you use the Bob Dylan quote as well, because that, that is so right. It's, it's doing what you want to do and still making a living, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and like I said, I think this Instagram generation is so much geared towards what success is supposed to look like, what you're, two holidays a year is supposed to look like and at the end of the day a lot of those people who stand in front of the camera and pose i've found to be some of the loneliest and deeply most unhappy people so it's not always good to compare yourself to the individual on the screen you need to i think we all need to take a second and just get better connected to what it is that that keeps a smile on our face rather than what we think should There is little 
to tell Since the day the cradle fell I don't have much But there's one thing I do I have taught my hopes to hide But I'll let you look inside And for all my days I'll still be loving you For all my days I'll still be loving you Tell me a little bit about your latest release. So the latest... The latest record I've put out is the 1992 tapes. And Mike, with this, I now it was recorded just towards the end of the pandemic. So I was limited with regards how many people I could work with, session musicians, all of that kind of thing. So the previous Christmas, I had been approached by Alan Thornton from Thornton Pianos to record one or two tracks in the Thornton Piano showroom on the north side of Dublin. And basically what they had done was set up a couple of microphones around the piano. You'd come in, sing a cover or sing an original song. They'd film it and you'd leave. And I loved, I loved that concept. And I always have that idea that John Lennon sort of cultivated of record the song of the Tuesday, put it out on the Friday. Again, I, I like to kind of narrow the gap between these huge wait times that people keep to mix and master records and stuff. So basically I approached them and said, if we could do the same thing, but I'm going to record an EP. And so the brilliant Brian, Brian O'Dwyer set up like four or five microphones i was in a room of my own the control room was in an adjacent room and i said i'm going to sing all five songs i'm going to leave 25 second gaps between each one we'll do it in one or two takes and then we're done and i'll leave the editing process to you and if i have a vocal hiccup on one it doesn't really matter if the take feels okay and for example like on firebird avenue which is the second track i think that's not even it was kind of a mistake but it i didn't really mind that's just me mouthing the track i that wasn't meant to be the final take it was just like a dry run to test my vocal mic but it got mixed up in in the in the track recordings and that ended up being the final release and when you hear it like my voice is all and kind of a lot of vocal burn and stuff because we did an early recording session but i just wanted to capture the essence of how these songs first come into the world. So when they're written at the piano, what they first sound like with no production, no big mixing and mastering and no band behind it. And that was the whole concept of, of the EP, basically. Drinking Percy's brandy and cream Sisters marching with the red baton Homecoming team Machu's the fat by the news And Ray's just singing the blues On Radio K105 Here come old dandy just a trace in the block He's selling all good teeth Bought wine shallots and Birkenstocks He's got a girl by the bay That's in the family way Trouble in a little town I heard it said Though I have never been sure The man that sells the panic Selling the cure And what's more He'll throw his tie around the door And I learned just what that's 
miss her breakfast all day Pretty check out girls to melt or steal your heart away What's been eating your butt a good rug if I could There's nothing bad about nothing good Bella's the corner while it's all understood We're hand in glove around the old neighborhood Oh my Don't you be talking that jive doing that and it must be such well it is such such a live performance isn't it it's full of energy it's full of that rawness it is and and that mike is exactly the way i intended it to be because sometimes when you're in the flow of writing something or certainly from my perspective the song is happening as you're playing it so you take a song like your little corner of the moon there's the opening line if there are seven wonders in this world then you must be the eighth she said i only ordered rice now it seems there's cheese here on my plate i said I guess that's not the kind of thing you'd hear on a first date, but if I didn't say it now, I never will. So it's almost like an Abbott and Costello sketch. And I'd hear it sung back to myself and I think, oh yeah, that, that, that kind of works. It's a little bit long drawn out, but it's okay. And then I, I always, I, I adhere to the Jack Kerouac idea of first thought, best thought. The more you labor over it, the more you linger on an idea, it starts to lose its sheen a little bit. And so all of the songs were first drafts of each of the songs with the result that today when I do them live, I've kind of cleaned them up a little bit. But again, that was what I wanted to capture for this record. Where, where does the inspiration come from? Well, each of the songs, they I come from the, the Randy Newman school of songwriting where the narrator doesn't necessarily have to be me. So in... The case of a song like I Always Will, which is the opening track, it speaks from the perspective of an older couple who the wife has clearly passed away, but he's saying to her, I'll bet that in a hundred years we'll be thinking of this still, and even if you don't, I always will. He's leaving his little signature at the bottom of the relationship script and saying, I don't know how it was for you, but it was a lifetime of memories for me. Now, I... (laughs) I wrote that song when I was like 27, so I don't have that kind of brevity of of life experience to call upon. But you can, you know, you watch a movie and you figure out how these things are supposed to go. So sometimes that makes it easier to sing it because it it almost feels like it's being sung from a third person perspective. And uh, that takes a little bit of the, not the embarrassment out of it, but I find it makes it easier to sing. So if there's a running theme, it's probably not intentional, but... Because a lot of the songs, as I said, the narrative could be coming from any perspective. They're, they're great songs. I mean, I think I think your releases, as I said at the start of the show, I'm a huge, a huge fan. I, I was trying to think of a way to describe your music. And for me, there's a great deal of swagger in it, if that makes sense to you. Well, that's a huge compliment. So thank you so much. I, I'm 100% now. It's, it's, 
I listened to it and I thought, how would I, how would I describe it? And as we're talking, it sort of makes sense because you've been mentioning some of my favourite songwriters like Randy Newman, like Clifford T. Ward. You know, I love Fats Waller. And when you when you take all all those and put them in a mixing pot, it sort of comes up with Colm Gavin. You know, it's it's it, it's full of swagger, it's full of energy. There's great stories behind them. That's a huge compliment coming from you and someone who has such an eclectic taste in music because I know you'd be looking at it from the same perspective of me and as as me. And I think I'm still processing that compliment because it's a lovely thing to say. But I I, I feel like. I was lucky in the sense that from early on, I was sat down by a brilliant teacher and told, this is Fats Domino, this is Fats Waller, this is Roy Cooter, this is Little Feet, this is Frank Zappa. And shown it from a musical perspective, it's like, here's Montana by Frank Zappa. Here's why it's so melodically complicated. Here's why it makes sense. Here's In a Sentimental Mood by Duke Ellington. Here's Count Basie. Here's Art Blakey. This is you know, he's modulating here and this is how this works and this is a Lennon-McCartney piece. And so, having heard that from the time I was pre-teen up until now, as time goes by, I just, the appreciation for them deepens and deepens and I feel like when I sit at the piano today or tomorrow, I can kind of call upon those things a little bit. So I think, right, I want to write something with a walk into New Orleans type of feel or I want to write something, I want to write something like a wartime thing like Chicory Chick or the old lamplighter or something that Sammy Kay would have sang. And I really cherish that. I really cherish the musical education that I got and that I was opened up to these things early on because I've had time to live with those songs and to grow with those artists. And they've been the soundtrack to my life. So I'm I'm just hugely indebted to the people who had the good sense early on to nudge me in that direction. What's next for Colin Gavin? I have the new album coming out at the end of the summer called Digging the Idle Flower, which I'm really excited about because I think more than any other, this one has kind of like shades of early Elton John, Dean Friedman, Randy Edelman, Randy Newman, you know, some of my, just some of my favourite piano-driven singers. There's a lot of influence on that. Um, so I'd be thrilled closer to the time when it comes out if I sent it over to you, if you'd play a tune or two, Mike. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, would lo- I would love to hear it. I'd be honoured. Looking back on what you've achieved and I think you've achieved a hell of a lot you've got a great catalogue of songs what advice would you give to somebody who says to you oh my gosh I want to be a singer-songwriter what do I do well the first thing and we've kind of covered it is I would go back and I would start from the very start and look at the music of the Great American Songbook I'd look at Jerome Kern Stephen Sondheim the Gershwins I would look at what today would be what quantifies and you only have to look at some jazz standards someone to watch over me misty uh the way you look tonight those are masterfully written songs and i think if you push the chronological line forward you'll see flavors of that in lennon and mccartney you'll see it in elton john and bernie Taupin's music all great music comes back to that root that heartbeat somewhere between 1927 and 1945 that's where i think with all of the absorbed influences of classical and jazz and blues, you started to get flavours of what contemporary song was going to be moving forward the next 60 years. So I would start there. I would sit down, deconstruct the songs, look at their chord structures, see, you know, what, where are the similarities here? And then develop from there. It doesn't matter if you're going to be in a punk group, reggae, rock, blues, or if you're going to be solo singer-songwriter. You never lose by educating yourself in that stuff. On a scale of 1 to 10, How's your career been so far? Well, I tell you, Mike, because I'm I'm here. Do you know what I mean? I, I got like all my faculties. <laughs> thank God. Um, in that, I can you know I can play a piano, I can play guitar, I can sing a song. I I'm fortunate that while I'm not selling out 
6,000 seat arenas, I can put on a show and people come to see me. That's to me, I can't ask for more than that. I get to, I get to do this. I get to have conversations with people, wonderful people like you. So what more could I ask for? I'd say 10. Seven wonders in this world Then you must be the eighth She said I only ordered rice Now it seems there's cheese here on my plate I said I guess that's not the kind of thing That you'd hear on a first date But if I didn't say it now I never will She had the kind of eyes that poets from Alaska right about That could freeze you with one glance But that you'd burn inside without And as her feet would glide down Main Street All the boys would scream and shout I hope there's someone out there Screaming for her still all the girls eat mashed potatoes As I swallow humble pie Problem shared is a problem still I don't need to tell you why Her cage door's standing open But she won't rest until she flies To her little corner of the moon It was late September, I recall There was gold beneath our feet by circumstance I learned to dance In her arms out in the street And the fragrance of her hair Gave off the taste of something sweet I'd have stayed right there forever If I could She said that love is like a lottery As the red lights fade to blue I don't know what it is I'm searching for but tonight perhaps it's you Still I don't want the kind of heart That sticks to my shirt sleeves like glue And then she kissed me like she thought I understood That all the girls eat mashed potatoes As I swallow humble pie A problem shared is a problem still I don't need to tell you why her cage door standing open, but she won't rest until she flies to her little corner of the moon. I wanted to save from the time we started. I'm not only here till the rain is parted. sighed and said Think of us as passing ships that were never meant to sail The 
was such a high price for the quiet life And my freedom's not for sale I'm like a wild wind that can't reduce itself To a passing summer gale If this were any other time For you I would It's only three weeks since she left But there's a cold chill in the air There's not a trace of her on Main Street But I still see her everywhere And Mama told me she'll come back, son If you just act like you don't care Still I know this time goodbye meant bye for good all the girls eating mashed potatoes As I swallow humble pie A problem shared is a problem still I don't need to tell you why But every night it seems in my wildest dreams It is always she and I In her little corner of the moon